You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about. Okay, so hopefully we are live into the uh, SDA Facebook group. I, uh, I I hope so. I think I pressed the right buttons. Um, so w- welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Mike, and I'm standing in today for um, uh, for Matt. Uh, who's on holiday? He's um, he's picked a good uh, a good week for it. It's um, it's very nice weather, and uh, as you can tell by my slightly sunburnt face, fell <laughs> fell asleep in the garden over the weekend. So um, yeah, p- picked the perfect day for me to host, Gary. Thank you, <laughs> thanks for that. So uh, we, this is a, a topic that uh, we've been uh, we've been talking about for quite some time. Um, <laughs> we are definitely live. Uh, Catherine's in. Good. Yeah, I know. I t- I, um, hold on. Can I? Can you hear that? I don't know whether you guys can hear the music. Ah, oh, that's a shame. I've got my uh, got my little button with the music on there. Never mind. Um, so uh, yeah, it's a topic Gary and I have talked about uh, quite a lot, and um, because uh, well, there, there's lots of um, different reasons for um, for the issues that graduate sports therapists have uh, with. Um, uh, with finding work after they graduate, and uh, that um, we're going to just explore some of those, uh, some of those topics as we go through. So we've got um, uh, Dan with us as well. Thank, thanks for joining us, Dan. And uh, hopefully we should have Beth uh, with us as well. We've had a few technical issues getting Beth on, um, but uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to get um, get her in as well. Um, so Gary, um, I know you've um, uh, you've had quite a few questions from uh, graduate sports therapists. Uh, when they do graduate or they're just about to graduate, which obviously sparked this uh, conversation. So uh, do you want to just talk through some of the things that you've um, uh, that you've uh, heard um, from from some of our members? Yeah. So, I mean, what happened last week was um, was quite telling about the industry, really. We had somebody join on on one of our lockdown offers, you know, for you could join as a student member prepare you know a member for 10 quid for two months and just try us out um so they joined and within the two month period um i got an email saying i really don't know what to do um can't get clients in this industry there are no jobs you know can you give me some advice so we we spent some time on the phone we talked about marketing strategies about making a connection with potential clients about exploiting existing networks and 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 really get going on your expertise in a, in a particular field before before advertising to the sort of general marketplace mm-hmm. um and literally within four weeks I'd had another email saying, I, I want to cancel my membership. I'm, I can't find work in this industry. And um, I'm going to go and work at Tesco's or the, something along those lines. So it, it, it kind of resonated with me a little bit because of the conversations. And I speak to 20 odd members per day. And a lot of what I'm being asked is, where do I look for jobs? Mm-hmm. Conversely, I get lots of physios messaging me saying, look, I want to take on a sports therapist. You know, what should they be paying them? You know, what, what can they do? What's the what's the remit? So I, I just thought that there's a lack of information out there. And hence, you, as, as you said, you and I have spoken about this several times. But interestingly, uh, and I don't know if you saw it, and I, I did mention it to you this morning, the, uh, Jack Chu, who does his uh, Chewing It Over lunchtime talks, he had one with the, with the chairman of the Society of Sports Therapists. And 
one of the interesting things I took away from the conversation was that you know when the when sports therapy as an industry was incepted in the in around about 1990, um, it was it was started if you like by by a, a physiotherapist mm-hmm. and um, there were a lot of relationships being fostered and, and developed uh, but interestingly two years later when sports therapy was you know sort of in its infancy um, what happened was that the if you wanted to work in sport you know the powers that be said that if you want to be working in sport you need to be a, a chartered physiotherapist mm-hmm. so on one hand we've got the sports therapy industry growing and trying to develop and on the other hand by the same powers that be are saying well but if you want to work in professional sport you need to be a chartered physio so you know from day one we i think we, there was a bit of a conflict of interest there and i'm you know i'm not going to criticize anybody for the work they do in the industry but i just don't think things tally up and, and Jack's conversation um, went on to discuss regulation and, and how that might or might not be appropriate for our industry. So my cogs are turning, you know, during the night time. And I'm thinking, you know, what can we do to, to, to make the industry more appealing? And one of the things would be, you know, is there an opportunity for employment at the end of a degree course? Mm-hmm. So one of the questions is, you know, and, and you, Mike, you know, might be able to answer this, you know, coming from uh, an academic background. Is there or are there any sort of false promises made by universities that are, you know, trying to market a sports therapy degree, you know, to the to the wider sort of population university uh, wannabes? That, you know, if you do complete this degree, you know, you're going to be getting a £50,000 a year job working at Everton. You know, does that happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, good, good, uh, good point. I think um, what I'll do, I'll just, I'll just bring in Dan. Um, let me just bring him in, hopefully. Is it going to work? Okay, Dan's just going, here we go. Um, so, Dan, j- just give us a bit of a background about your your routine um, to uh, to sports therapy. And um, uh, what did, did you do? You did a degree in, in sports therapy, is that right? <clears throat> so, my background's a little bit dotted, I suppose. Um, I first came in as a sports scientist, a graduate sports scientist. I had no real interest in sports therapy at, at that particular time. Um, and then I left, I did a PGCE, I went into education and then, th- then I just started to find a bit more interested in injury and rehab, I suppose. Um, hence I went back to university to do a master's mm-hmm. in sports therapy. Now I chose, I chose sports therapy over physio because at the time there was, there was lots of chat about regulations, um, or, or becoming a regulated industry and I, and I specifically remember that message being sold quite well mm-hmm. on the back of the course and I'm not suggesting people were lying I just because there was a lot of chat about it at the time why would you not use that as a bit of a marketing tool to, to sell a course now it turns out many years down the line it, it's still not regulated unfortunately and I think sports therapy is just always seen as the second best and it, and it annoys me to say that because I am a sports therapist um, by trade and often I've sat at home and considered, do I just bite the bullet and pay for a, a physio degree just to call myself a physio, just so I'm not second best to a physio. But I suppose that, that 
that comes into yes, I, I, I definitely think there are less opportunities. Well, I, well, I know there are. I've, I've been there and I've done that and I've been second best to physiotherapists who may or may not have been better at the job than me. Mm-hmm. But that that's just the fact at the time. But then I've carved my way into the industry as a self-employed um, person who's built a business. And I generally don't think, and, it, and you, can, you can say this about anybody in any industry, I generally don't think it's for everybody, regardless of whether you are an excellent therapist or not. If, you, yeah. if you're not set out to be businessy and hardworking and, and putting yourself out there, sometimes putting your head on the block on occasions, but if yeah. you're not willing to do that sometimes, I just don't think you're, you, you're ever going to have a business. Yeah, no, that that's a that's a really good point because um, there's no focus on that in the degree program. Um, in it, it's all geared uh, from the degree that I used to teach on. It was all geared around uh, joining a team and being yeah. being part of a pitch side team that dealt with acute injuries, pitch side, and then rehabbing players after after injury. And um, and as you said, Gary, I think those those opportunities are somewhat limited. Um, they're limited sometimes because of the uh, the job adverts that are out there, and I know that you, um, you you're constantly challenging those adverts, which is good. Um, and I, funnily enough, I, I literally had one today. Um, a friend of mine works at a local rugby club, and they want um, they want two uh, physios for the uh, local rugby team, and um, and and they want want pitch side cover. And I said, well, have you not thought about a graduate sports therapist and that they, they don't, they haven't got a clue what they are. And, um, and then I was thinking, well, is this limited to sports therapy? And then it's, it's the same in osteo. It's the same in, in osteopathy as well. Nobody knows what the heck an osteopath is. Um, nobody really knows what the osteopathy degree entails either. And we also in a lot of, um, job opportunities and also academic opportunities to progress are limited because we're not HCPC registered. We have a different register. So, it, but it's it's through the fault, I think, not of the. I mean, in the academic terms, the the guys that run the course they know what an osteopath is, but the administration of the university don't. They haven't got a clue. Um, but and those are the guys that put the adverts together to um to um for the for the courses or, or whatever it is so we we have a real issue with sports therapy and osteopathy i think with uh with actually saying what we are and what we what we do um and i, I was i was just kind of mulling over it and i was thinking well is it because is it because of the um the disparity um between the delivery in the universities because i know that the society of sports therapists to be a graduate sports therapist you have to meet the sst competencies and your degree has to do those do those things but then depending on the uh, team that you have delivering the qualification you will then also get additional modules in their specialist areas so um there we have a kind of disconnect because there's uh, there are some some universities that offer more sports psychology stuff, some more sports nutrition alongside 
the sports therapy. So again, does that, is that beneficial or does it muddy the water a little bit? And I don't know, it's, I, I think with physio, everybody knows what you cover in physiotherapy and, um, and they, they have that, they have that nailed down. And in, in other therapies, I don't, I don't think we have that. So, um, that was my, could, my we say, <laughs> could, could we say that this is not just an our industry related problem? If we look at the amount of people who go to university now, you know, compared when, to when I went to school, um, it, it's massive. You know, the, the, the numbers are massive. We're turning out far too many sports therapists, far too many sports scientists, far too many um, of every graduate. You know, m- one of my sons did a business enterprise degree, um, but there, there are no business enterprise jobs. You know, he's now self-employed and, and you know, he does some work in, in my clinic. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a, a wider problem, uh, you know, but specifically, you know, what we need to do um, as step stakeholders in the industry we need to focus on the, the sports therapists and, and try and find some opportunities for them and um it was interesting that that dan comes from a sports science background and then went to um you know towards the the sports therapy you know a lot of the people who i talked on a daily basis they do sports therapy degree now if i told you that 65 percent of graduates don't work in the industry after 18 months there is a fundamental failing so what they're doing, those graduates, they're staying in academia. They're going on to do a sports science or a sports and exercise medicine um, masters. Um, and some are even going on then when they've, when they've got the science-based degree because it's easier to get onto the physio masters with a science-based degree rather than the therapy-based. Um, so everybody is being funneled towards an ever-decreasing employment market in physiotherapy. Mm-hmm. Now, Scott's put a really valid point on there. And I, ha- I remember having this conversation with him that, you know, I was contacted by a physio who said, look, you know, I need somebody to work in my clinic. I'm rushed off my feet. I want them to do the same as what I do. You know, can a graduate sports therapist do that? I said, well, no, because we're not a physiotherapist. We're a graduate sports therapist. So there are different occupational competences, etc." Yeah, but I, I can't, you know, I can't afford to uh, to employ a physio, so I want to employ a graduate sports therapist to do exactly what I do, but pay them half the money. Mm-hmm. And I said, you can't have it both ways. You know, if you want to employ somebody to do exactly the same as you do, employ a physio. If you want somebody to take on a different sort of um, remit within your clinical practice, employ a graduate sports therapist and let them focus on the, the rehabilitation and the sports-specific stuff let the physios do the, you know, the activities for daily living and, and, and orthopedic rehab and post-operative rehab, et cetera. Yeah. So that there's a, you know, there's a lot going on in our industry, but, you know, we're, we're in 2021. Okay. If you believe what people put on their websites, you know, the industry has been around for over 30 years, but in that 30 years, how has the industry developed? Yes, we're putting more people through, but we're all competing for the same amount of jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's one of my major concerns. And this is why I, I'm trying to to change the, the occupational competencies. But you brought up a very valid point, Mark, that, you know, if you are part of an accredited degree, you know, there are a, a nucleus of occupational competencies. But then it depends who the course lead is, you know, what their bias is. And if it's a strength and conditioning bias, you're going to get more S&C. Mm-hmm. If it's a, a hands on bias you're going to get more hands-on so i don't think there's any parity i don't think there's any standardization and i don't think that helps us 
yeah, I agree. I think that that's um, that is a massive part that um, we're, we're it's uh, it's the mixed messages I think that we send that we send across, and I think um, Julie, Julia Hartley put a um, message um, the other day. It wasn't um, this evening, but um, was uh, saying about the fact that again, again, this comes back to the regulation question, or whether whether it's necessary for that. Um, with uh, the fact that you can do. A, several weekends of of a course and, and call yourself a sports therapist and and then do three years at university or, or do a master's degree and it's uh you know it's the same it's the same title so um that that is then muddied but then but then equally um patients don't don't know that they don't know about title they call they call me physio all the time and i have to correct them um not that they're you know they're, they're not bothered um but they uh everything's all physio 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 so it's um yeah it's a, we we de- definitely need to work on branding what we're good at and uh and and targeting that market but then then we've got the problem is you, if you work in uh private practice you then limit your market because in private practice i, I mean the the amount of sports people i now see probably about five ten percent of of my of my clinical practice load um so it's uh it's it's not the the area that that seek us yeah to, um and, th- and then we've got the issue about the uh well if that's not what we're trained to do but those are the people that we see then are the competencies right to set us up for work and it's again it's that it's that kind of um chicken and egg situation isn't it uh, um I'm I'm just really conscious because I've got um Beth has arrived. Um so uh, Beth we're going to br- bring you um bring you in now. <clears throat> there we go. Hello. Sorry I'm late. Hi Beth. Uh thank you for joining us. Um so um j- just give us a little bit about your background where you came from and um what and what you do now. So it looks as if you're in your own clinic at the moment. Yes. Um, so I'm a graduate sports therapist. I left uni in 2014. Um, I went into somebody else's private practice and sport at the same time. Um, only amateur level rugby, where I still work now just for a different club. But I, a couple of years ago, decided I wanted to do it on my own. Um, when you work with somebody else, I found that you're very limited with what you're permitted to do within clinic. Um, there were time constraints that I weren't happy with and other bits and pieces. So two years ago, I set up my own clinic and then finally went full time at my own clinic um, or nearly full time just before Christmas, which was wonderful timing with the second lockdown. <laughs> um, so it's been an, it's been an interesting year. But yeah, I think the, the points you're making about sort of the industry as a whole. Yeah, are really good, because when you go to uni, you're always told, oh, you take with your degree, you can then go on and work for premiership rugby teams football teams whatever you you'll be the person running on with the bag you'll be working with all these elite sportsmen when in reality like you say a good five ten percent of my clinic as, might be sportsmen but then a lot of them aren't they're general members of the public that want help with an issue mm-hmm. um, and especially recently with with covid if anything it's funneled more people towards us because people can't get the help that they need on the nhs at the moment because there were backlogs before this all started and now it's even worse so i think people are seeking out private practice a bit more but it's like you say i get called a physio every day and i'm like well i'm not a physio we're not the same thing yeah to the general public 
as far as they're concerned, can you fix my knee? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yes, but we'll, we might do things slightly differently and we might take you slightly further. And I think, like you say, there needs to be a bit more sort of clarification, not just within the industry, but to the public as a whole, what we are and what we do. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Maybe that's something we need to look at, Gary. Maybe um, um, like a, a kind of some kind of clarity campaign or something that we do for members so that, um, you know, our, our message is, is really clear. Yeah, I think what I've tried to do with Matt's help on these uh, web chats is to is to look at the periphery of our industry, um, because that's where a lot of us are, seem to be working. We, we don't work as you as you both identified, you know, five to 10 percent of of our core clients are, are sports people, you know. Even though there might be, you know, the, 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 the recreational athletes that, that may come in, you know, do the occasional run, I still class them as a, as a sports person. But, but you know, fundamentally, we're, we're competing for the same amount of marketplace as the physios, the osteos, the chiros, etc. And, and, and what I find a little bit conflicting, you know, in the industry is that during the various lockdowns, as I've said you know many occasions i spent the whole of lockdown speaking to members on a daily basis ringing up at least 20 to 25 of them seeing how they're doing seeing anything i could do to support them and and the the overriding message came from a, a good percentage of graduate sports therapists is that we want extra recognition for our academic skills mm-hmm. you know we don't want to be you know lumped in with massage parlors and i know that we've had this discussion before that we now support some massage therapists but they didn't want to be lumped in with the more holistic treatments if you like or more holistic therapists and yet when you go and look on these people's websites a graduate sports therapist the first thing that you see is sports massage Mm. you know we are we are giving the wrong message in my opinion you know and what we should do and uh, you know i've said this hundreds of times you know our title should be what it says in our certificate so if we are a sports massage therapist on our certificate you've got a certificate in sports massage you're a sports massage therapist if you've got a a a diploma in soft tissue therapy then you're a soft tissue therapist and if you've got a degree in sports therapy or sports rehabilitation or sports science (laughs) you know you that's your respective title so I think as an industry, we need to do more. We need to tidy up our act a little bit. Um, I think there are several conflicts of interest within the stakeholders of the industry, which are not helping. You know, I'm even named as the chair of another organization, which I left nearly nine years ago. Um, but they still keep the website up to try and you know damage my reputation. You know, and I'm not going to go public about why I left them. It's just I don't want any involvement with them. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to support any application for regulation because they're linked to a training provider which provides soft tissue training courses, mm-hmm. you know, which are some people say outdated. I, I'm not going to say whether the courses are good or bad. That's not my job. But they are still teaching a level five stroke level six which bears no relevance to the industry standards the education standards should i say so you know they're not going to vote for regulation and and it's on the hcpc uh, website you can go to the minutes of all the meetings that discuss all of the applications and and the very first one said that there should be a consultation with basrat and the sma who were classed as the other stakeholders Mm -hmm. 
Now, that consultation never took place, and it, it, it never will, and Basrat have now moved on, and they're doing some really great things for graduate sports rehabilitators with their international recognition programs and their accredited uh, register. I don't happen to agree with accredited registers myself. I think we've lost him. No. He was in full flow. Oh, he's back again. Sorry, Gary, we, we, we missed, the, missed the last bit. You didn't agree with accredited registers. Was no, uh, no. I, I was an advisor to an accredited register and it was launched in back in 2010 and it was all about standards. But quite quickly it became about bums on seats because it's, it costs 20 grand a year to maintain mm-hmm. a professional standards authority accredited register. So it quickly opened up instead of just being about sports therapists, it became about nutritional therapists, it became about sports massage therapists. Um, so I didn't think that the holistic route, you know, that the CNHC took and, and, and the FHT are taking, you know, to to have an accredited register for more holistic treatments, I don't think is, is the right way forward. That's my personal opinion. Um, and I just think it adds a level of bureaucracy. Yeah, fair enough. No, thank you, Gary. Um, Dan, when you first started, Dan, um, what what did you find that you were doing the most? Because Gary's just mentioned there about um, sports massages being the thing. Did did you did you go down that route as well? That was that how you kind of pushed your business initially, and then kind of morphed it over time, or yeah. um, how, how did you start things? So I think, sorry, Mike, just just before I answer that, I think on a global level, there's. There are fundamental issues, aren't there? And and sports therapists need to be branded as a sports therapist. Sports massage therapists need to be branded as sports massage therapists. 100% agree with that. But on a micro level, as individuals, I just think we all need to do what we're good at. Do what you're qualified to do and just do it well. I see so much chat on the internet about adult, like a sports massage therapist not being uh, respected, the same as a physio, like a sports massage therapist, not a physio, but it doesn't mean to say that you're not a fucking good sports massage therapist. Do you know what I mean? Sorry, sorry for the language. Just, just do it really, really well. There's people in my town who are massage therapists who have got businesses worth a lot of money who are helping lots and lots of people. Mm-hmm. And they're not claiming to be anything they're not, but they're doing a really, really good job at doing that. Yeah, and I think on a micro level, do what you're trained to do, and just do it really well. Do it with a smile face, rather than complaining about the industry so much. Yeah, no, it's it's very true. I think uh, one thing that gets me is um, we've got all these different levels, and and it's been born out of academia, academic pomposity, really, and um, and they we don't even know what they are in the industry <laughs> yeah you will we'll, we'll struggle with what well what does it what do you do on a, if you've never done the course or never taught the course you don't really know what is entailed in a <clears throat> a level three sports massage course or a level four or a level five um and then how that differs then to degree level and if unless you've been on that pathway you, we, we have no idea so how yeah. the heck are you know um the general public or, or other professions got looking in gonna know exactly what everything that they're all just going to kind of lump us into the same the same bracket and i I think that's um i think you're right i think there needs to be uh 
so, um, something that we do to, to distinguish between um, each of the uh, each of the qualifications. Um, I've just got to put this up because this is one of my old uh, this is one of my old um, students, Arland. Um, um, he's written something massive. Hold on. Um, so it's uh, so uh, let me just see if I can read it there. So if we know that there aren't many job opportunities, why is it more done to create opportunities? Why not have a business module uh, on the course to help create more clinics? Very similar to how Kairos do it. And then when you get the patients through the door, then you can educate patients on what a sports therapist is and what we do. And this is how we grow sports therapy, in my opinion. Yeah, good. Um, very good. Well, you've got your head screwed on, Arland. Obviously, you're, whoever your lecturer was was a good one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, what, um, what, what's your? Um, how have you made your business a success now, um, Beth? Well, what, um, what have you done to help promote uh, promote you and get your? Um, and you do you employ other sports therapists as well? So no, a not a Couple of questions in one. <laughs> um. In regards, like the, one of the biggest things I've always struggled with is marketing. Because um, again, at uni, yes, you do the clinical side of everything. They'll teach you the sports trauma. You do a bit of taping, whatever else. And then it's off you go into the real world. You have no idea how to run a business. You don't know how taxes work. You don't know how anything works. You know, so it, it's a massive learning curve. Um, and even though I've set my own clinic up, it's a case of, well, all right, you've set it up. How do you actually then run it? I can do the therapy side of it. How do you then do the business side of it? So I definitely agree that doing a business module on courses would help the industry because more people would then be inclined to stay because they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, I live in a little village, essentially. So I started doing a lot on Facebook and just sharing it to little villages. Um, there's, a, you know, there's another sports therapy clinic up the road in the main town, and it's good. So I was like, well, how do I compete with that? How do I do something a bit differently? So you target the smaller little independent villages that want to support local business. Um, and that's actually served me quite well recently. Um, so that's massively helped. I've tried adverts in, um, there's, there's a local magazine that goes around around here and it just advertises local businesses, which is great if you read them, but 90% of people don't. I did chuck an advert in it once. I got one person from it, so it did pay for itself. But I don't think it's something I'd do again. Yeah. Um, I think one of one of the most benefit beneficial things I did was that I got in with a local running club. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a chat, bumped into them by accident at the running show, so I could actually have a chat in person as opposed to just by email, uh, and that helped. So you you get one or two, and then it is just word of mouth. But asking people to write reviews and send referrals in is great, and sharing people's stories I found to be quite good. Brilliant. Um. But I think most recently, one of the best things I did was get an accountant because doing it myself was driving me insane. So that helped as well. Yeah. But it's, these, these things just aren't necessarily covered in degrees and stuff. Yeah. Or, so I can't, I can't speak at a college level, but it was, certainly wasn't covered in my degree. Yeah. yeah. No, it, 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 I think it was it was a module in the degree that I taught on, but it was phased out. Um, so I think back when I started teaching around about 2012 I think that was the last year they ran it and then they phased it out which was a real shame because I, I think it's a, it's a real key um because if you if you don't have if you don't have that access to a sports team which is what you're geared up for then you have to go into private practice if, if you want to be a sports therapist and then like say yeah you've you've no idea where to start um there, there's some yeah there's some really good um uh 
comments here as well. So Andy Caldwell. Hey, Andy. Um, evening. Um, so, uh, yeah, business planning, uh, marketing and social media training, massively under-recognized. Uh, big part of launching and maintaining a successful clinic. And just be the best you can be, irrespective of your title. And the rest tends to take care of itself. I think that's a really good point. I think it is irrespective of the title. Um, but as we've all alluded to, you know, nobody knows what what we do anyway. That they all they all call us something else. So as as you said, Dan, you know, just be be the best that you can be. Yeah. Um, and, sorry, Mike, and that's it. Although they might not know our titles, they know the difference between what helps them and what doesn't help them, and what go, what was a good service and what wasn't a good service. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think um, j just to be realistic as well. I mean, I don't know how you guys, um, uh, how long it take took you guys to grow your business. But um, when I very first started, I I was doing it part time. I was doing it mobile with a couch, going around people's houses. Usually referrals from um, physio, and uh, they go, "Oh yeah, someone needs a rub down." And that that's how I started. So I, I would do sports massage. Um, and build that up a few times a week. Then I, then I rented a room um, in one part of the city, started to build up that whilst I was doing another job as well, full-time. So, um, so this was on a part-time basis. And then I got another room and then another one, and then it got too busy. So I had to drop my full-time job down to part-time hours. Um, and then it, but it gradually kind of like shifted then across into the, into the therapy side. And that process took about five years. And um, I, I, I don't know what the kind of timescale was for you guys, but I think sometimes if, like you said, Gary, at the very beginning about someone kind of hanging up, um, uh, you know, hanging up their, their polo top a few months in, it, it takes it takes some slog over, over some years. It's not just going to land in your lap if, if you're going to work on your own um you know and, and even working within a business it takes time to generate your own um your own client base well what what was your kind of experience beth with uh kind of growing growing your side of the business how how long did it take what kind of things did you do it, it was a bit of a pain i mean when I, I got i got really lucky and ultimately that's one of the biggest things one of one of the things i found talking to friends that had done the course and then no longer work in the industry they couldn't find somewhere else to work and they didn't feel confident enough to do it on their own. Um, I happened to know somebody that was working in a clinic that had not a lot of notice to go and to start lecturing. Um, I hadn't even technically finished my degree, but it was, oh, would you mind coming in and covering for a week while the other girl's on holiday? And then I stayed there for five years. Um, <laughs> but it was, a, I was at a point where I didn't have a car, so that was an expense I didn't have. I lived at home with my parents, so I paid a little bit of board, but not a lot. And I was in a position where I could um, pittance essentially to start with and you know get a little bit more money coming in working in a pub a couple of nights a week and it is you do scrape by and it's took a long time to get to this point so I left uni in 2014 I'm still not completely full-time but at the minute I'm working six days a week and two days a week are in a gym um, just helping out at the moment just so I've still got some income uh, admittedly the last year hasn't really helped anything I was hoping to be slightly more um in here more as opposed to working elsewhere than I am at the minute but you know working six days a week isn't for everybody if you've got family commitments financial commitments you know building up bit by bit if you've got if you haven't got to go back to your family then you can do it but if you've got a partner or kids or you know a dog you've got to look after 
it's not completely it's just not feasible for a lot of people to do yeah i think i think that is a disadvantage but it's also an advantage that the industry is very flexible you know i do i do you know simple anecdotal research by using a tally bar you know five bar gate thing you know and and over 75 percent of sta members have another job okay less than 10 percent work full-time in the industry a lot of people can have a family a family break or a career break, a sabbatical, whatever, and then come back to the industry. Louise uh, Akers just said there that she's, you know, a long break and two years in, she's happy to say she can stop a full-time job and, and, and concentrate on this. But the flexibility is a plus point. But, you know, I go back to the figures of 65% fail, you know, within 18 months. There was a comment earlier on that only 6% of, of somebody's course was actually went on to work in the industry, and that's horrifying. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we do enough, you know, and I don't think it's enough to have a business module on a on a, in a, on a degree course. You know, some of the CVs that I get sent through on a daily basis or some of the surveys I get sent through, you know, on the professionalism and ethics module – it's it's just based on outdated rhetoric from 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 the industry stakeholders. So we we need to do a better job. Um, I I started you know I came from a, a an ex military and then a, a fitness industry background. I worked as a sports remedial master for for quite a few years before I went and took progressive training. And you know my academic qualifications are are outside of this industry, more in education. Um, so I know a lot about the, the levels, the levels three, four, five, six, you know, and, and I'm horrified by some of the standards that are out there. And, and, and you touched on it before, Mike, that, that there is no relevance to the numerical levels other than a marketing advantage, you know, that, in my opinion. Um, I don't know what the, the, the way forward is. You know, for, for, for people, I'm going to support them. Um, I think the social media marketing is, is a big way forward. Um, you know, I'm, I'm encouraging people to spend, to make a habit of posting on social media, to have a business page and 80% of the time, you know, post information, whether that's a link to a, you know, tagging a client in a, for example, primal movement solutions video on, um, on lower back mobility. You know, if they've come to your clinic, it, I don't think it's worth you doing your own videos at this point in time when there are so many professionals out there doing it. And they're more than happy for you to share their resources and reference them properly. You know, um, here's a great video for from Primal Movement Solutions on lower back mobility. Uh, the guy's Gary Lewis. Always, always got some some great content on YouTube and Facebook. You know. Here it is, Dave. You know, this is what I was talking to you about and tagging them because he that's all he does. You know, he's a remedial um, exercise remedial instructor in, in the military and his content's fantastic. So if we start putting a story on, so, you know, it might be start on a Monday and we're talking about lower limb injuries, you know, in football. And we might then talk about on a Tuesday, we might talk about medial collateral ligament injuries. We might talk about a, a, an ankle sprain. Um, we might talk then about, um, you know, a toe injury, for example. You know, so you're creating a story, a, you know, a, a, a theme going through. And then on the on the fifth one, why not book an appointment to come and see me? So you've created some content with some interest. You've given some some helpful tips about if you are suffering with medial collateral um ligament injury and you are getting you're looking to return to sport here's a really good proprioception video you can try Mm -hmm. you know 
if you're if you're on the on the fifth day, if you're unsure about what you know what you need to achieve or what stage you need to be at, why not book in with me? You know, we can go through a full assessment of of your skill and ability level now, and we can set some short, medium, and long term goals moving forward. That's where our strength is as a sports therapist. It, you know, it's it's facilitating recovery. We're not fixing people; we're facilitating them getting better. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, I've got. Um, I mean. I guess I guess it's because of my background, really. But um, because of teaching on a sports therapy degree, I know what sports therapists do. I know what they're good at. And um, I've got three of them working in my clinic. And um, but they've all got they've all got that little niche that um, that they uh, they don't all do the same thing. Um, We've got one guy. Who, who focuses more uh, on well in fact he's now doing a strength and conditioning degree because he wanted to go down that route more uh, we've got one guy who focuses on kind of MMA um, because that's that's his his passion and then the other guy is more general kind of health and fitness and we've kind of picked the team because I know what like I say I know what sports therapists can do so I know what patients they can they can see but then they've also got the support of the clinical team so we've got two physios and and myself working there as well so if they get anybody who they really struggle with and they've got someone to refer on to within the team as well um do you think that that might be a bit of a barrier for for some guys starting out on their own especially like beth you said you know you're in a little village kind of in the middle of nowhere um is that been a scary process for you have you got have you got support if um there is someone that you feel is outside of your remit that, or that you work with someone that would then refer people to you because of what you do is there a is there a two-way relationship that you've got not really if i'm being okay. honest but i've only <laughs> i've only there. lived in the area for a couple of years so it is still quite new yeah. um one thing that has helped me a lot ultimately is you know, being on the STA page, I'm on part of Sports Injury Fix. There's the um, physio support page that got set up during COVID. I know full well, like if I've got a patient that I'm not, I'm stuck with, I can post on one of those pages and people will come back and help and give you support. Brilliant. So I found this side of it massively, massively helpful. Um, and I don't think I'd be as far forward as I am without it. Because it's like someone said, you know, having a safety net. Yes, we're talking financially, but actually clinically, having someone behind you to back you up. When I worked in the other clinic, the one thing I did like was that if I was struggling with something, I could go and have a chat with one of the other therapists that was there um, and get a different perspective on things. Yeah. So I, I did like that. I, there are relationships that I'd like to build up in the area, but at the moment, unfortunately, I haven't particularly got anybody yeah. else local. It was interesting, Beth, that when you spoke earlier, you you mentioned the sports therapist working up the road, and you said, "How the hell can I compete with that?" Yeah. Now I challenge you to compete with it, but to to set up an alliance, you know, because you may have a, you know, because I know that you've got a lot of first aid um, training, you know, in your background. They might have a very sports specific, um, you know, expertise. So you could you could trade off skills, you know, cross referring. It's about yeah. building networks. And, and all the communities you mentioned, the physio support group from Gemma, you know, the STA group, it's all about building communities, mm-hmm. you know, so that we don't. And, and I noticed Mike's ears picked up when Safety Net came up, Mike, and we'll save that one for another day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we, we do need that. You know, to, to go back to Mike's point, you know, sometimes working in that multidiscipline clinic is advantageous. 
but sometimes it's very limiting. You know, you might have a graduate sports therapist that all they do for five years is a bit of soft tissue work. You know, the direct, you know, this, this person needs a rub here, this person needs a rub there. And sometimes, you know, and then move, if you want to move on, there's probably a contractual uh, limitations and restrictions about where you can work and how you can, how you get your own clients and things like that. So, you know, it, it's horses for courses. You know, we're, we're all different. So some it will suit. You know, I think my frustration is that, you know, from the graduate program, it's heavily, heavily um, internship based you know the the recommendations that when you finish your degree your insurance is going to be limited for 18 months go and get an internship to get experience and what that's done in turn is it's devalued the industry further so that the risk you know the, the people who are using the interns will never pay what we are worth mm. Because they've always got a steady stream of people who are doing the third year looking for placement hours or they're willing to work for 15 grand a year. And one question I was asked last week was, how much do I pay a graduate sports therapist? I say, you pay them what they're worth. And they say, yeah, but I've got no idea. And I said, well, in private practice, if just generally speaking, freeze of mass, you did 20 clients a week, um, you know, and, and your price is 40 quid. You know, that's 800 quid a week. You extrapolate the figures and you, it works out at 40 grand a year with a couple of weeks off at Christmas. You know, you pay your 45 percent, um, you know, f- business costs, if you like. You've got 26 grand clear. Now, for, for a clinic to employ somebody and give them 26 grand a year clear, then by the time you've got the holiday pay, the statutory sick pay, the national insurance contributions, you're probably talking about over 30 grand. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, People are looking to get, you know, a graduate sports therapist working in their clinic and paying them about 12 grand a year after, you know, after after all of the, you know, the employer expenses. And that devalues the industry, you know. But it's the same in every graduate role that I mentioned before. You know, when you come out and you're a, a, a media graduate, you won't be earning the big books. You'll be working on an internship and you'll be doing some graphic design in the, in the worst office in the, in the company mm-hmm. for a pittance. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's just a, a, you know, a measure of how we, we produce too many graduates. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it was the same for me. I, um, I started doing, um, uh, cause my, my, uh, yeah, obviously you've, you've seen me in real life, Gary, and most people have just seen me on the internet for the last year and a half. But um, I'm um, I'm a I'm a basketball fan, obviously, because of my height, as you know. Okay. I mean, you're six foot seven, Mark. You've got some TV, and uh, and I got the opportunity to look after the Birmingham Bullets basketball team, and that was like a that was like a dream. It was completely free. I, d- I didn't get paid a penny, but um, it was something that I really enjoyed anyway. And um, seeing all the guys coming over from the states and and training in in Birmingham was really good. Um, but then I could use that logo on all of my marketing so uh, and that then gave that then gave me that you know that credibility within within the marketplace yeah just as an aside to that to expand on that i used to train on the same court as the birmingham bullets that their their court when when channel four used to have the monday night basketball their court was was kept and stored in a hangar at nuneaton at Bramcote barracks and i played for the army at basketball and we used to train there i was based there so i had a couple of training sessions with the with the birmingham bullets but yeah i didn't have the i played with enthusiasm shall we say (laughs) (laughs) one-on-one mate when we get to the next therapy expo uh Good. So we've got a few, a uh, few other uh, comments here just coming through. So Daniel, um, 
the opposite to the internship is potentially the osteopathic way. Uh, sorry, but things are in the way of my screen where you qualify thinking you're fully formed work for yourself um, and self-directed, but actually knowing very little. Um, so, it's, um, uh, it's so, so true. I mean, um, I don't. Did you guys have um, uh, working clinics when you were doing your um, degree program? Yeah. What kind of um, patients did you see? Because uh, I, I know the kind of population that my guys saw. Uh, just to be interesting to see um, what what you guys saw as well. So Dan, Dan, who who would you usually see in the student clinic? Um, we would see anyone, Mike. To be totally honest, I think when you first start out, you'd see fellow students, people who you knew pretty well, just to build some confidence, just to <laughs> work on a systematic approach of your assessment and your treatment, and then I suppose once you've earned your stripes and you develop these skills they kind of let you loose with vetted um outside customers okay yeah who, who will come in again they've been pre-vetted so nothing too complicated um i suppose to again to build you up and i think the university i did mine at were i think clinically they were really good um they were really really strict on hours spent in clinic they didn't let you off with anything and i think that's probably the most valuable part of my master's degree was um aside from learning academia was actual time spent in clinic yeah um yeah like any anyone and everyone and and again that's that that was a really good learning curve old young male female Athletic, non-athletic, literally anybody and everybody. And the more, and, and nice. I say this a lot to people, the more you put yourself out there, the more you get, the more you want to learn, the more you will learn. Yeah. And I think yeah. our small cohort on the Masters, again, I'm probably pretty fortunate that I was around slightly older people. Like we were all mature students doing a Masters degree bit of life experience we all worked full-time we all had some involvement in the industry anyway um and, we, and like i said we all tried hard and any opportunity that came up we took it yeah, and, and on brilliant. a personal level any opportunity and literally anything that came my way whether it was paid or not paid i took it yeah brilliant brilliant and, and actually I, I, sorry, sorry i actually like the internship i, I think it's 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 a way in it's almost like being an apprentice isn't it where mm. daniel gerber like it's a great point i think it would for me it would have been really dangerous to say right is your, is your master's degree now piss off and go and earn some money and and pretend to be the, the master of science that it says on a bit of paper when really i didn't know anything i didn't literally didn't know anything but people assume because you've got a master's of science written down the assumption is you, you're a clever little shit but mm. <laughs> i really wasn't so i think the internship allows you to to be around people as long as you're in a good cohort or a good group of people or a good team yeah like i imagine again not just saying this because you hear mike i imagine working with the likes of yourself you get great support you get well looked after and that's the difference isn't it if, you, if you're in and around people who care about you and want to look after you and it's not just taking a piss out of an internship yeah yeah, I think that's a, that's a good part. I mean, I, I'm a teacher. I'm qualified as a teacher. I know how to teach people. And if you go to another clinic to work for an internship and you get someone who's who's a clinician, they might be a very good clinician, but they haven't yeah. got a clue how to teach. 
Yeah. And you, you won't get anything out of that placement because they don't know how to deliver that information to you. And um, and th- and that's the thing. It's um, it's all very well having an internship, but it's got to be. It's got you've got to get something out of it. You can't just be the person that, like you said, Gary. You know, just does the does the rub downs and does a bit of cleaning. Yeah, you know, it's it's got to be valuable. Um, otherwise, there's just no point. Do, what, yeah. what kind of what kind of patients did you see, Beth, at, at your uni to kind of set you up when you when you graduated? So. Uh, the way our uni did it, you had to do your 100 hours clinical placement um, within the clinic, supervised by one of the lecturers. And then you had a placement with a sports team. Mm-hmm. Now, some people got lucky and they got an external sports team. So they had somebody to follow, mm-hmm. whether they were a graduate sports therapist or not. There was somebody else they could learn from. I was given a kit bag and told that my my clinical placement was the Uni Rugby League second team. Um you'll be up at the sports fields on Wednesday, off you go. And it was pretty much a baptism of fire. Um, my The first injury I ever had to deal with was a French exchange student who shattered his clavicle from one end to the other and promptly forgot how to speak English. So that was interesting. Um, but throughout, I, I never felt like I had support there. There was somebody in, you know, in the main building if you ever needed extra help. But realistically, you, you were put out on your own. Mm-hmm. Now, if I had been given if I did an internship while I was at uni so I had you know some financial support coming in through my student loans and I could do that alongside my placement hours in the clinic while I was still studying that would have been fine yeah um and I think I might have got more out of it than I did um so I've always said this it's the one thing I always regretted is I've never had anyone to work underneath which sounds stupid but you don't have that ability to learn from other people and see how to do things differently you muddle through your work out how to do it yourself yeah but i've every sports team i've ever worked for i have been the medical team there hasn't been anybody else um, i think that's why i've ended up doing so much sort of first aid training and sport trauma stuff because there is literally nobody else to turn to yeah. except for you so i wanted to make sure i was really hot on that and i didn't ultimately let people down because in extreme situations you know, you can, people can end up with disabilities or worse. So that was one thing for that. Um, in regards to my in-clinic placement, a lot of the people we saw were my rugby league team that were breaking on a Saturday, uh, sorry, on a Wednesday. Um, so a lot of the people I saw at that point were my own age. And because most of us were sort of, you know, 20, 21, we had a couple that were, what, 23, 24, but everyone was the same age. All the students were roughly the same age we had a couple of lecturers that came in but it was never something that the uni pushed so we had a very very limited um group of people that we ended up working with so it was a massive when i went into private practice and started working you know in proper adult rugby as it were that was a huge difference i've gone from treating you know 19 year olds to sort of 50 year old blokes that probably should have stopped playing rugby years ago but would have none of it and had every single joint in their body taped up yeah so yeah, it was it was an interesting transition, and I think that there did need to be more support at that level. And I also think that's what put quite a few people off in my cohort to, to leave the industry because yeah. it was oh we've we've got experience treating these people with these injuries, but then if you've got uh, as you get older, a lot of people have more comorbidities and more severe conditions. They just didn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's a <clears throat> that's I a think- really good point. Sorry, Gary, go on. No, I was just going to say that, you know, my I suppose my criticism of internships was was based on um, parts of what what Dan said are really true, that internships do provide 
a valuable learning experience. But when you're learning, and Beth picked it up as well, you need somebody to teach you. And you said it, Mike, you know, you're a teacher. So it, I think internships have just become a way of, okay, just go and work with that sports team. And there's no supervision. And I think I think that's what we need. Um, talking about um, sort of mentorship, I suppose, you know, for, for people who are listening on the podcast now, STA members, we, in our um, file section of our social media group, we have a, men, a buddy list. So if something happens, you know, a, a traumatic um, injury occurs and you want to sort of, uh, offload to somebody then we have got a, a comprehensive list of people with different specialities so that can be accessed by sta members in in the in the file section as i said um but talking again about mentorships you know andy caldwell who was commenting earlier is he's one of my sort of go-to people you know he's, he runs a really good podcast himself which i'm sure he'll put the link in you know he was i was talking to him recently about somebody he wanted somebody to work in his clinic you know so if you're in the stafford area you know, get in touch with Andy, see if he's filled that space because you will not learn from anybody better. And you obviously know him as well as I do, Mike. He's a yeah. great guy with superb knowledge and he is a great teacher. No, that it's, uh, it's good to have people like that um, as part of the STA, really. That that, that support network, I think, is uh, second to none. I think, um, I've got just a little um, uh, message here from Chris Kitson. Um, so you need someone that uh, doesn't want to, specifically teach you their way um i think that's that's really good point and um something that i i had a bit of a i had a, a few conversations with some of the other lecturers when i when i was teaching at the uni was what what are we what are we trying to do when we're teaching these guys on the sports therapy degree so are we are we teaching them to be sports therapists or are we teaching them to be critical thinkers and um, and the sports therapy is a kind of byproduct to make them into critical thinkers because we knew that some of them weren't going to go into sports therapy. Their, their heart wasn't in it. Um, for, and uh, I don't know why they chose the degree program in the first place. Some, some people, but some people you knew were going to go, you know, for, to the top because they were so committed and that like you, Dan, you know, d attending everything and um, you knew that those guys were going to be good. So we kind of had to, we had to have this level ground where we go, right, we know some are going to be, some are going to make it, some aren't going to make it. So we need to make sure that they're very good critical thinkers. So then they can, they can mold into whatever they want to be then after they graduate. And if they do want to go on and do an MSc in something, then fine. Um, or even completely change, change career. So it's, um, I think, um, uh, not having someone specifically teach their way, as a critical thinker you'll be able to challenge that and if uh you know if it sits outside um the uh the current evidence because if you go into you go into someone's practice where it's like back in the back in the um sort of archaic times and the, the the type of treatments that they're doing you need to be able to question it and challenge it and maybe not directly to them because obviously you're on a and uh, you're on an internship or whatever you're doing but um yeah in the back of your mind you need to be thinking um you need to be thinking critically about it. And I think that that's some of the key skills that a graduate sports therapist should have. Yeah. Yeah. And you also get, should we all, sorry, again. sorry, Dan, not coming on this point, if I may, should Just we also earlier. then. My fault. Sorry. 
No, sorry. Um, all I was going to say was on, on that then, Mike, you know, if we are trying to produce critical thinkers, you know, should we actually on the degree programmes, should we be challenging what we're being told? You should be. You know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, the, the, the classic is um, is with electrotherapy. It's still uh, it's still being taught as one of as a major module in a lot of um in a lot of university programs and then you get outside of that environment and nobody is nobody uses it and um and you know the uh the evidence against it is um is is so stacked up and but then it's still it's still taught as a as a major major module yeah but that that module I suspect is taught because it's still one of the occupational competences competencies for sports therapy. And you and I had a chat probably a year ago about you asked me, how do I teach electrotherapy? And I say, well, what you've got to do, you've got to put the information out there and then you put the information out there that challenges its efficacy yeah. and say, this is what we thought, you know, when this was you know, designed in, in 1980, you know, this is what we think now you make your own decisions on that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, uh, Catherine's just made a good point here. So on on degree programs, obviously you get the placements, but you don't get that on a diploma. So you finish your diploma and then and then you're in. Um, you're expected to do hours, um, but it's it's not they're, they're not necessarily like a like an internship, like a placement, um, like like you would get on a degree program. So uh, yeah, I think I think that. That needs to um, uh, that needs to change as well, I think, and um, maybe stipulating hours in certain um, certain working environments so you get a broad range of um, uh, of experiences uh, with degree programs and with and with diplomas. I think it should be the same for both. On um, on the SGA accredited um, awards, the industry awards, we do stipulate that the for each year that the person studies, they, they have to do 36 hours of case studies. 12 of them are taken in the community. 12 are taken them within the college sports team that, that, that Beth mentioned. Uh, and 12 of them are taken at events. So we organise events in the East Midlands where we can have people from diplomas and students and recently graduated because it is such an important part of it. Interestingly, though, even though the awarding organisations may say you um you know there are 15 cases <laughs> enforceable and, and the awarding organizers won't enforce them mm, yeah okay um i think we're, we're just running over time guys just conscious of time so i think um the the question at the beginning was the about the career options for um graduate sports therapists and i think um well we've got two successful graduate sports therapists here with us so thank you for joining us and um, thanks for letting us know how how you be, how you started your journey and the kind of things you had to do because I think I think people need to hear those things. Um, so those people that are uh, going to be doing their finals now and going to be graduating um, in September, um, they need to hear these things. I think it's um, some people do walk into those sports teams jobs, and um, you know that it's usually nepotism. It's usually who you know, not what you know, uh, but um, if you want to start on your own in your own clinic, you, you need to put um, you need to start now um, before you graduate, put the feelers out and um, and then 
put your head down and, and get on with it, I think, and uh, and just keep going and don't don't lose faith. It, it will it will come eventually. I mean, I had a I had a clinic where it was just me at the beginning, and um, eight years later, we've got a team of nearly ten. So it's it take it takes time, um, and I've questioned sometimes why I've done it <laughs> and uh, the kind of the kind of things that I've I've done. But being on your own and being your own manager you can make decisions really, really quickly. And if something's not working, you can change and do something else. Um, but you, you've just got to put the graft in, I think. And uh, as lo- like you said, Dan, you know, as long as you do a good job, you look after people. Um, and as you were saying as well, Beth, you know, you get, the, get those repeat people back again. So I think there is, there is hope for graduate sports therapists. I hope it doesn't um, uh, put people off that they can't just walk into a job, that there is... Um, there's a lot of opportunity out there. You just got to, you've just got to keep on looking. Hopefully. Before we finish, then, Mike, if if I can, what what we're doing with the web chats? Um, we we usually on a monthly basis we host a an STA update. So things that we didn't get to discuss tonight, which I'd like to discuss on the next one, if anybody wants to take part, is you know the business model we as sports therapists employ now the there are a number of sports therapists who are going down a shall we say a package route where you know as part of your payment um you know for a a month's worth of our expertise you you have a a full assessment and then you have two sessions a week for um you know for a month uh, you know so we can take you through the progressive exercise rehabilitation and all the advanced soft tissue uh, skills that we have now that that falls in line with some, you know, some of the criticism, I suppose, that um, uh, chiropractors get where they're saying, I need to see you twice a week for the first four weeks, then we'll go to once a month as a maintenance. So if anybody does employ the, you know, selling a package deal to to people, we'd like to hear from you. We'd like to come on and, and, and tell us all about that. And also if anybody wants to come on and defend the single session business model as well. So, you know, I'll see you once, I'll give you some stuff to do and you ring me up when you feel you need to ring me up again. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're the two avenues that we would like to discuss on the next one. Um, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Have you got any final words of wisdom, Dan? Go follow DA Hugh Mechanics. It's got on it. That's how you do marketing, people. Yeah. <laughs> going back to your point is be the best you can be every day. Don't accept second best. Don't try and do enough to get by reach for the stars and you'll achieve more. So I like that, what you said earlier. Uh, Beth, any final words of wisdom for aspiring graduate sports therapists entering the employment market? Keep pushing. Just because someone else does it differently to you doesn't mean your way isn't going to work. If it works for yeah. you, just do it. It's like we've gone back to you. Go back, you know, do what you're good at. Stick with it. Yeah. Good. Thank you very much, everybody. appreciate your time as always. And uh, we'll look forward to having Matt back next week. Um, I can't remember who we've got. Oh, we're talking with um, with an STA member, Debs, about endometriosis and how um, how managing the condition um, may throw up some um, some things that we need to be more aware of in clinic. Um, somebody may be presenting with um, you know a groin strain or maybe presenting with constant lower back pain, and we've looked at you know men's pelvic health, women's pelvic health, and then. Uh, Deb's one of our members. She's going to be talking about endometriosis and the problems that some some of our female members um, may be experiencing and, and what we can do to raise awareness 
and to you know signpost i suppose to the right um referral pathway so looking forward to that one brilliant thank you gary thanks dan thanks beth thanks everyone for tuning thank in you. we'll see you next week you're listening to the sports therapy association podcast let's talk about it.